Welcome to Citroen Cooperman's Taxes in 10 podcast. I would now like to introduce our tax practice leader, Joe Bouble. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Citroen Cooperman's Taxes in 10 podcast. My name is Joe Bouble. I'm a tax partner in New York City office, as well as a firm's tax practice leader. Today, we're going to talk about estate planning, and it's our pleasure to have as our speaker today, Howard Klein, who is a tax partner in the Westchester office, as well as the firm's practice leader for trust and estates. Howard, welcome. Good afternoon, Joe, and thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I know how busy you are, but I think this is a timely topic, and this is one of two we're going to do on estate planning. So this one, we're just going to talk about basic estate planning. And given the environment today, why is when we're talking about estate planning, not only is it the perfect storm, but also the perfect opportunity to plan? Well, that's a, that's a great place to start, Joe. Uh, so before the uh, COVID pandemic in 2020, we, we practitioners already thought it was going to be a pretty busy year for estate planners. With the scheduled reduction of the estate tax exemption in 2026 from the current amount of $11.58 million per taxpayer to approximately $5 million. Since the crisis in early March, we've seen a number of factors that impact the urgency of addressing planning this year namely, to name a few, the health crisis itself has made people realize they're not invincible and therefore they are facing their own mortality. Asset values, especially closely held businesses, are significantly depressed. Interest rates are at historic lows. And recently, the presidential election could actually accelerate some changes with respect to estates, including lowering of the exemption, increasing the current 40% estate and gift tax rate, and most importantly, closing various techniques that have been utilized over the years by planners. Okay, so that's, that's an interesting uh, approach. And so if somebody now wants to do some estate planning, you know, it's a, it's a big topic, it's a daunting, but what's the best way for someone to get started? When I, uh, it's a good question. When I, when I get involved in these, these matters with clients of, that I'm responsible for, or other partners' clients, so protect, potential clients, I, I try to put this in you know, relatively understandable English. And I view estate planning as a combination of financial information and legal documents that work together to help our clients achieve their goals. My particular approach has always been very consistent. Gather the data, all that information, all the financial information, all the legal documents, and quite frankly, see what would happen if something happened to the client yesterday and they had done nothing. To the extent that that result of the, the analysis doesn't achieve their objectives or if we as planners see additional opportunities, we can then move forward from there. But that's the place I start and that's the place I've been consistently started and it doesn't require much in the way of variance. It's just a good solid way of starting to let the client see where they are at this moment in time. Okay, so then what are some of the specific items that need to be reviewed? Okay, so this we call the gathering and the homework information. So if a client now is interested and has asked the question you just asked, uh, we start to gather some, some data. Um, we'll want to get their personal information, find out about the, the, whether it's uh, husband and wife, spouses, et cetera, a little bit about their family, maybe grandchildren, their ages, and that personal information that they should have at the tip of their tongue. Then we start to gather some of that financial information we talked about. Um, we need three years worth of income tax returns. Um, we try to create and, and have them gather information to help us create what we call a balance sheet, which is just a list of all their assets, who owns them, and maybe any debts that they may have. Um, if they have any legal documents, uh, a recent will that's, that's in place at the moment, um, any trust documents, if applicable, 
Um, and then we also ask them, and this really needs to come from the, from the client, to kind of get an idea of what their, what their cash flow needs are on an annual basis. Um, it's their budget, it's their lifestyle. We don't judge it, we just want to gather because as we go through this process, it's very important to clients that they maintain their lifestyle. It's a prevailing factor and it always comes up in, in all of our planning engagements. And then finally, if there's any special circumstances that might be applicable to this particular family, um, one example is, you know, for example, a special needs child. These are things that are outside of the, uh, maybe the financial information or the, or the legal documents that are, that are tantamount and of, of, of major importance to the people in front of us talking. Okay, so now that you, you've gathered all the information and someone wants to do the planning, how do you actually go about reducing somebody's estate tax? Well, the, um, the, uh, the, the cryptic answer off the top of everybody's heads is, well, just spend all your money or leave everything to charity, but that's not something that most of our clients want to do. So um, the key strategy in reducing estate tax exposure <clears throat> is really giving assets today based on today's values that are expected to appreciate in the future. The amount you give away today is included in estate tax filing eventually. However, it's only that amount, not the amount that the asset is worth when the person who gave away the asset actually dies, uh, that's included. So for example, if I give away a million dollars today, live 20 years, and the asset grows to say $21 million, that $20 million of growth is outside of my estate, or I call it over the wall, and is not subject to future estate tax. All right, that sounds good, Howard. So we're talking about gifting, which is a strategy, but let's talk a little bit about some of the advanced techniques. You know, and I know there's an alphabet soup of what planners talk about. Just talk about the high level about some of those. Yeah, we, um, we use a lot of acronyms in estate planning. So there are things called GRATs and IGITs and CRUTs and CLATs and those types of things. So all of these um, are, are areas that should be discussed when talking about some advanced planning techniques. Um, and uh, some of them are more uh, advantageous to clients than others. A, a GRAT, which is a grant or retained interest uh, uh, retained annuity trust offers an opportunity to pass wealth to a beneficiary at the end of a, of a grant term without any imposition of a gift tax or using up any of the grantor's annual exclusions or lifetime exemptions. Grats are great when you have an easily valued asset that it's going to appreciate uh, significantly. The low interest rate environment also makes it more attractive uh, using this technique. A grant is basically when an individual or the grantor transfers assets into an irrevocable trust that will pay the grantor an annuity for a speci uh, specified period of time with at the end of that grant term, the remainder uh, asset going to non-charitable beneficiaries, typically the grantor's children. And there's a pretty complicated uh, calculation based upon what we call the section 7520 rate, which is an uh, internal interest rate, which when you're dealing with family members, are pretty low, low, very low uh, interest rate factors here, and that could also create more value um, in this type of uh, a structure. Uh, so-called zero, uh, zero act rats, um, you're really using very, very little of your gift and estate tax, exe state tax exemption. So you're getting the double benefit of getting an asset of uh, future appreciation out of your estate without actually using up any of your current lifetime gift and estate tax exemption. If a client, if a client is very interested in or has some charitable inclinations, there are a litany of, of, of different types of charitable trusts that can be, that can be used. Um, some, some, uh, the, the basics uh, of this is where a client transfers an asset uh, into some sort of a charitable trust, um, either taking back an income stream 
during their lifetime, maybe their spouse's lifetime, and it can even go on to their children's lifetime. And at the end of that income stream, whatever's left in the, in the trust reverts to a, uh, a charity of their choice or charities of their choice. Um, it can create cash flow, it can increase cash flow uh, from, that, from that charitable trust in excess of what the asset was producing today. You retain that income interest, which helps with their current cash flow, um, while at the same time, uh, ultimately giving away uh, a fairly substantial amount of value potentially to a, to a charity, which also entitles, in a very complicated calculation, the donor to, to uh, take an income tax deduction uh, uh, currently. Um, very, very attractive. And uh, the other thing that can be added here is with the additional cash flow, depending upon circumstances, the client could actually replace the asset that's going to charity by purchasing life insurance, which if done outside of, of their own ownership through a trust, let's say, could be not only income tax free, but estate tax free. Oh, wow, um, that's interesting. Interesting stuff, Howard. Um, so we're just, uh, we're running short of time, but let's, can you spend a few minutes just address the basis issue when you make a gift versus the basis issue when an asset passes uh, upon death under current law? Sure. So, so basis, which is what you pay for an asset in the most simplistic term, your basis is your basis. So if I buy an asset for $100, my basis is $100. If I sell that asset for something more than $100, most people would probably understand that you have a gain and you, have to be, you get taxed on mm -hmm. it, depending on whether it's a long-term or short-term gain. Pretty, pretty simple stuff. Um, so if I have a $100 asset and I sell it for $500, I'm going to pay tax on the $400. If, however, I take that $100 asset and I transfer it to my son, let's say, he picks up my basis during lifetime because it's a transfer during my life. So my son would then step into my shoes. His basis in that asset would be $100. And if he then sold that asset for $500, he would have the same $400 gain that I would have if I sold the asset. Basically, I've just transferred the asset and the tax obligation to whomever receives my asset. Conversely, if I took that same $100 asset, which is now worth $500, and something happened to me, yesterday, um, we have in, in the tax law what we call a stuck up in basis. What that means is that the asset is revalued upon my death at its current market value. So in the example I just gave, that $100 purchase price of that, let's say stock, which was now worth $500, if I died owning that $500 and I left it to my son, his income, the $500 would be in my estate, but the, his income tax basis would be $500. And then alternatively, if he sold that stock the next day for $500, he would pay no tax because his basis equals the selling proceeds. So that $400 of gain is wiped out. Great for the kids, that's what's great for the parents. Right. <laughs> and um, so that when we're talking about gifting, choosing the assets with the, uh, I guess, higher basis if you had a choice would be an important step to take, right? Right, and if I, if I yep. may, in the limited time that we have left, one, sure. of, one of the classic planning technique, techniques is what we call a uh, intentionally defective grantor trust, which is a trust for, that for estate tax purposes, you've actually transferred the asset to your heirs, this trust. Um, but from an income tax standpoint, because the, the donor has certain powers within the trust, um, it is not considered to be a, a gift for income tax purposes. Um, it's, a, it's a pretty complicated transaction. It's one that I find to be extremely, extremely attractive for reducing your estate tax exposure, potentially paying taxes on income that is, ta that is taxed to you, but the value goes to your trust or to your children, which creates an additional tax-free gift, if you will. So 
if, if somebody's interested in that, happy to explain more about that. And the right of substitute, substituting lower base assets for higher base assets also can come into play and create a lot of flexibility. Because one thing about all these plans, Joe, you want to also have a lot of flexibility because as we see laws change constantly and people's values, people's net worth, they also change. So the more fl flexibility you have in the plan, the more you can adapt as circumstances warrant it. Yeah, that's, that's a good point, Howard. And the other thing is, you know, you talk about changes in the law. One of the things that may be also coming is not only changing the rates, but the step up basis may be going away. Right. That's uh that's they, they, there's, a, there's a lot of things right they're talking about de de decreasing exemptions increasing rates getting rid of some of the techniques that we've just discussed as well as step yeah. up in basis that's going to create probably one of the biggest um, opportunities and challenges for planners going forward because it is hard to predict um, uh, you know how assets grow etc uh, forget about the record keeping involved as well that also is going to create a nightmare Right. Um, so it's it's a challenge, challenging days ahead. Perfect storm, yes, but also perfect opportunity for our clients. Okay, well said, Howard. Again, I want to thank you for uh, joining us today in today's podcast. Was, uh, we appreciate it, and we're going to be uh, recording another one on another aspect of estate planning with Howard, succession planning. So everyone, please look out for that. And I wish everyone well. Carry on. Stay safe and have a good day. Thank you.